Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. My name is Doug Sherman, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Harvest Church. And it is my privilege to be able to share God's word with you today, to be able to preach. We've been doing for a while, if you're new here, we've been doing a series called Foundation. And it's a series on, you know, our foundational beliefs, what we believe, what we embrace, what, what are the things that uh, inform our lives as Christians. And these, these would be things that Christians have believed for 21 centuries, things that God's people have, have embraced, and, and you'd call them essential or core doctrines. And so today we're going to continue the series that we've been on, and today's message is Jesus came to rescue and restore people. Right, that's central to who we are and central to what we believe, and that is that Jesus came to rescue and restore people. Before I actually get into the message, I want to share something with you that I felt by the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit revealed this to me in the first service, and uh, I want to share it with you in the second service as well. But as we were worshiping today, I became aware of an invitation from God. The first thing is, is I became aware of God's holiness. Do you know what I mean when I say God's holiness? The word holiness or holy means to be set apart as special and, and unique, right? Like the idea behind God's holiness is that he is other than his creation. God is not a creature and he's uncreated and he's outside of, and theologians call it transcendent. He's outside of his creation. And yet, He's within his creation. He comes near to us, but he's set apart and he's pure and he's holy and he's without any kind of mixture. He's just God, right? And I was aware of God's holy presence as we were worshiping this morning. I was also aware that he was inviting us in a new way to come close to him. I became aware that he wants to visit us as a church in a fresh way. And the prophetic sense I had was that God is going to begin to move in our midst in a new way. And he's calling us close. And that those who will hear the word of the Lord and will come near and draw near to him in worship, not just on Sundays, but in your daily life, as you begin to make space for God, as you begin to make room to come close to him, as you draw near to God, he's going to draw near to you and he's going to begin to speak to you as he's never spoken to you before. And he's going to begin to breathe on your life in fresh ways. And where you have lacked hope in some areas of your family and your life and other areas, you're going to see God is going to come near to you and he's going to begin to give you insight and he's going to give you vision and he's going to make himself known. God's going to do a new thing in our church. I felt like times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord were coming to us and that God's face was upon us. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but in both, both the Greek and the Hebrew language, the word presence that we see throughout the Bible is the word face. And so whenever we read that God's presence came among the people or God's presence was with the people, what it's actually saying is that God's face was with the people and God's face was upon the people. And that's why when the priests proclaimed a blessing over Israel and they said, the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you and the Lord make his face shine upon you, the Lord lift up his countenance, his face upon you and give you peace, give you shalom, that when they did that, they were proclaiming the blessing of the favor and the smile and the kindness of God upon his people. 
And that's what I sense. I sense that favor, that kindness of God upon his people, that God wants to visit us with his face, with his presence in a fresh way. And if we'll hear his invitation and we'll move with him, he's going to begin to do a work in our church that's going to be fresh and new. Amen? And I believe it'll be really attractive to people because God's attractive, right? That's his glory, his outshining, his beauty. And he wants to reveal himself to us in a fresh way. Amen. So that's, I believe that's a word of the Lord. You can take it, weigh it, test it, prove it against Scripture and what you sense in your own heart. But if you have faith to believe with me that that's a word from the Lord, then let's put ourselves in alignment and agreement with it and believe that He'll do it in our midst. Amen. So we've been learning that we're all theologians, right? You remember that? We've been learning that all of us in this room that believe in Jesus Christ, but even those who don't, are theologians. We've even been learning that atheists can be theologians. Did you know that? Because theology, the idea of theology is, is the study of God, ideas about God, beliefs about God. An atheist, if you sat down with an atheist, maybe you're an atheist and you're here today, or an agnostic, maybe you don't really believe in God or that there is a God or you're, you're convinced there isn't a God. Even if you have those kinds of ideas and thoughts, you're still a theologian, because ideas and thoughts about God are theology. So every human being is a theologian. Now, some of us are good theologians and some of us are bad theologians, or some of us are just ignorant theologians, or some of us are learning theologians. In fact, all of us are learning theologians, amen? But we all believe things to be true about God. And we've been learning as a church through Scripture that God has given all of us essential and core beliefs, that we have things that are kind of central to who we are as Christians, that all Christians through all time have embraced certain realities about who God is. And we agree. In fact, the thing that's beautiful is globally and universally through time, there are central truths that all of us embrace together. Even though we might be in multiple denominations, all of us believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, right? All of us believe that Jesus is fully God and fully human, not 50-50, 100-100, All of us believe in God's nature and character as Trinity, as triune, and and many other things. We believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, that he was crucified in our place on a Roman cross, that he was buried in our place and took our judgment and our death, and that he rose again from the dead. Those are the essential core things and several other things. Well, we're continuing to look at that today, and the reason that this is important is because what we believe informs our life. What we believe directs our life. Our beliefs are like a rudder on a ship or a steering wheel in a car. They steer us either into a safe harbor of God, of heaven and of right living, or they steer us into destruction, damnation, death. And ultimately, what you believe today, and you might not realize this, but what you believe to be true about God, about the world, about yourself, about other people, is going to inform and direct where you go. It's like that internal compass or, again, that rudder or that steering wheel. Beliefs affect character. Isn't that interesting to think that what you believe is affecting how you live and ultimately where you go? And so as we continue to look at what we believe It's important that we understand that this isn't trivial, that these things matter, these things count. Your beliefs inform everything about your life and wherever you're going. 
in whatever you're doing. Can I get an amen? Okay, I just want to make sure. You're kind of, kind of looking at me funny there. This week we're going to continue with GHC belief number five. And uh, it's rooted in the idea that Jesus came to rescue and restore people. And I'm hoping, will we have it on the screen? Okay, we're going to put it up here. I want you to see this with me. We believe that all people are born with a sin nature. Oops, I need you to... You're just putting the second part in, aren't you? Oh, it's okay. Don't worry, I'll just go ahead and read it. We believe that all people are born with a sin nature. We believe that through faith in Christ as Savior and Lord, on account of His shed blood, death and resurrection, people are justified before God and forgiven of their sins. Now, that's already been taught on. Here's what I'm going to teach on today. We believe by confession of Christ and repentance from sin, people become new creations in Christ Jesus and are born again by the work, power, and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're going to look at today. Now, last week, Pastor Raul talked about the fact that we believe that on account of his shed blood, death, and resurrection. And what does that mean? We believe that Jesus did it all. When he poured out his blood on the cross, when he died, when he rose again, that he completed, he finished the redemptive work that was necessary in order to justify us before God. And what does that mean? To justify us before God and forgive our sins means that God looked at us in Jesus Christ, that when Christ was hanging on the cross, we were hanging in him, that when Christ was buried and died, we died with him. And then when Christ rose again from the dead, we rose with him and received a new life. And in that, we were forgiven. And everything that was counted against us, all the charges of our lifelong of sin, anything we've ever thought, felt, and carried through, those things that, that sin nature that has tainted us, we believe that all of it was hung in Christ, buried with Christ, and that when he rose, we rose and those charges were removed. And the scripture calls that justification. And what is justification? God declares us righteous because of Jesus alone. Not because of our own good works, not because of anything we can do to merit it. We are declared righteous. And think about that. What that means is not only did God take your sin account, which had a negative balance beyond anything you could pay in a million lifetimes and remove it and take all that debt away from you. But then he added to your account the righteousness that is in Christ Jesus so you have an infinite stock of righteousness because of what Christ did for you. Right? So not only are we forgiven and is our slate clean, but we are counted as righteous so that when God looks at us, this is powerful. I hope that you really believe this and aren't just intellectually ascending to it. What the scripture actually teaches is that when God looks at you, he looks at you through his own son and he sees you as righteous as Jesus Christ is. He sees you as pure and as holy and as complete as you, as if you were Jesus himself. I don't know about you, but that's revolutionary. If we lived out of that from our guts, if every one of us in this room really believed down deep in the marrow of our bones that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, it would change our whole view of life and of God's love for us. Okay, I'm glad you're excited. So we're going to look at the first point this week, and that is we believe that by confession of Christ, 
and repentance from sin, people become new creations in Christ Jesus. Let's look at that first part, confession of Christ and repentance from sin. Romans 10, excuse me, yeah, Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, a very well-known text of Scripture. Look at it with me if you would. Look what it says. It says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When's the last time you confessed Jesus is Lord? Right, think about that. That's powerful. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10, one believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. Now look with me at Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Acts 2, 38. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when we put these two texts together, what do we see? First of all, we see that we believe Jesus died and rose again, and we confess that he alone is Lord and master of our life and of the world. Our confession of Jesus and our repentance from sin is because God has worked in us to save us and show us our sin. We, we confess what is self-evident. Jesus is Lord and has died for my sin. I turn from my sin and death as a response to his saving grace and love. What does this mean? Think about this. What does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? I touched on this, I think, in the first week, but Lord, the word Lord, uh, we, we kind of miss the, the import of it, the power of it. The word Lord in the Bible means master. It means the person who has complete and total control of your life. So when we confess Jesus is Lord, we're saying, in effect, Jesus, you are the complete master, ruler, king, you're the boss. You have charge of my life. If you are my Lord and Savior, you're everything. And you're my all in all. So as we confess Jesus is Lord, this isn't something to be taken lightly. This is something to recognize that we are turning over the control of our life to someone else. That we are saying, I am no longer the Lord of my own life. I'm not, no longer the King and the Master of my own life, but you are. I confess you as Lord. That's powerful. And I believe where? Where does it say I have to believe? Come on, help me out, church. Is anybody paying attention? In your heart, right? You got to believe in your heart. What does that mean? Because this is, this is really important. Belief from the heart is not mere mental assent. And this is why sometimes we see people, quote unquote, get saved because they went through the formula of Romans 10, you know, oh, I confess Jesus is Lord, I believe he died on the cross and rose from the dead, and then we'll say, you're saved, stamp, and then they'll go off and live, and there's never any fruit or never any life, and we say, well, you know, well, they're saved, they're going to go to heaven if they die. Wait a minute, wait a minute, let's be careful here. What does belief from the heart mean? In the Bible, the heart is the central place where mind, will, emotions, choice, they all cross. It's a term that's used in the Hebrew and in the, in the Greek to mean that which is at the center of your being, 
that which drives your life. Out of, remember in Proverbs 4, to guard above all else your heart, for out of it spring or flow the issues of life. And so everything that is coming out of the heart is how actually you really believe and live your life. Remember, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What was his point? That as you go about your life, the real you is going to be betrayed by your words. If I spend a couple of days with you or you with me, and we spend time talking and hanging out together, eventually your true heart would be exposed. And if your heart's full of light and life and the love of God and the grace of God, your mouth is going to proclaim that. And if your heart's full of other things, that's also going to come out, right? Because the heart is the center. So to believe from the heart is to believe from the very depth of who you are, that Jesus died for you, for me, that Jesus was crucified in my place, that Jesus suffered for me, and that Jesus rose again, and he's really alive bodily, and my whole life is counting on that. I'm relying in it. I'm trusting in it. I'm clinging to it. I'm cleaving to him. My life is now his. He is Lord and master, and his death alone and his resurrection alone saves me. Nothing I can do can add anything to that. He is Lord. So to believe from the heart is to know that in your gut. And that's, that's a powerful thing. And in that, we believe that we repent. And let me make sure I, I, I make this clear. Repentance is not a work. It's not a merit. It's not something we do to earn God's favor. It's like this. God's favor has already come. And he's already moved toward us. And he's changed something in our heart. And so we turn away from that which is evil. To repent is the Greek word metanoia. And it means to change your mind. To change your thinking. It captures the idea of turning away from one way of thinking to another way of thinking. This changed mind changes the entire orientation of a person. You turn from sin to Christ. This turning from sin to Christ is a gift of God. When a person sees the evil of their own sin and the beauty of Jesus' sacrificial death clearly, they turn from sin to Jesus. It's like this. Our orientation inwardly, our proclivity inwardly, before we become followers of Jesus is that we are bent toward unrighteousness, toward evil, toward sin, toward death. We move internally toward darkness and we periodically look over our shoulder toward what is good. And we even can do good things, but our heart is bent this way. And then life comes and grace comes and love comes and the cross is seen and we, and we recognize it and something inside of us turns. Our mind is changed. I see it. I see my sin for what it is. It crucified him. I see his beauty and the cross for what it is. I follow him. And our heart and our inward person turns and we begin to follow after God. Now, that doesn't mean that sin doesn't still have a pull on us. That doesn't mean that we don't hear its beckoning call at times. It's siren call, right? It means, and sometimes we turn and we sin, but our new orientation within is toward Christ and toward righteousness. That's why. Listen up, people. That's why if you're a Christian and you're out there doing stuff you know you shouldn't be, you're so darn miserable. 
Remember, I remember, you know, like when I was lost, you know, people always say, you know, yeah, you know, their, their testimonies like I was, I was in sin and I was miserable and I was doing all this bad stuff. And I'm like, gosh, that wasn't my experience. I was in sin and I wasn't really that miserable. I mean, eventually I became miserable, but while I was doing all the stuff, not saying I'm not still drawn to all the stuff, but when I was doing all the stuff, I, I was having a good time. It was fun sometimes. Let's, let, let's not lie, right? But then when, when I turned to Christ and I would have these periodic times of flirting with my old life, I would be miserable. Yeah. I'd feel so gross inside, sad inside, grieved inside, convicted inside, guilty. It was terrible. That's how you know that's a gift of God. That's God's way of saying to you, you're mine. You're not getting away anymore. You belong to me. And I'm going to make you miserable until you come home. And God will do that. He'll make you miserable, absolutely miserable with your sin. Am I talking to anybody today? Okay, secondly, that people become new creations in Christ Jesus. You know this text, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Do we really believe this? If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Do we have anybody in this room that can say well, along with me, I'm a new creation? Come on, are you a new creation? Come on, say it loud and proud. I'm a new creation. I'm not who I used to be. Come on. See, the Holy Spirit comes and He changes our essential character within. I already said this, but I'm going to keep on it for a minute. And He makes us new creation people. Our inward orientation is now bent toward God and righteousness. The conflict remains around our decisions, and sin still has a draw. But the Spirit within us yearns to do right and follow God. Over time, and with the help of the, whole, of the power of the Holy Spirit, we overcome sin and we become more oriented toward righteousness as we yield to the Holy Spirit within. This is a lifelong work, but we are destined to overcome and conquer. This is so important. I want to give you good news. If you're here today and you still struggle with a besetting sin, with addictive behaviors, but you're a real Christian, and you've had a change of heart, but you find yourself still being pulled back and you're falling and you're still being pulled back. I want to tell you, first of all, God knows about your struggle and he loves you and he cares for you and you're not destined to lose that battle. You have one inside of you. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world, John tells us. There's a great power inside of you and even though you're moving even, I should say, even though you're moving this way toward God, you're pulled this way. You might have times where you stumble back, but here's the answer to the follower of Jesus, to the Christian who continues to be pulled backward. Here's the answer. Get back up and run to the cross. Fall on the mercy of God. 
over and over again. Receive his cleansing blood. If you fall in 15 minutes, get back up. If you fall 15 minutes after that, get back up. Over time, as you run back to the cross and you experience the power of grace and the love of God, you will find yourself hating your sin more, loving righteousness more. It will begin to lose its grip on you. It might take years. It could even take decades, but you are destined to win. So get back up and keep running to Jesus because he is for you and you can conquer. Oh man, I'm getting excited. See, the work of the Holy Spirit in us is new birth and eventually a complete and perfected person. We will spend the rest of our lives being completed, matured, and perfected. Perfection awaits us in heaven, but in this life we will grow in Christ-likeness as we yield to the Spirit within. You know, I love when I meet old saints that have stayed childlike and tender and pure, because it's sad. Sometimes I'll meet people who become so zealous in the newness of their faith, and then years pass by, and they become bitter and crusty, kind of angry. And I'm like, wait a minute. It's not supposed to be like that. Yeah. I remember years ago, there's a dear lady who was a part of our church years ago, and, and she used to be a Catholic nun. And she came out of that, and, and she became you know, a follower of Jesus in, in our types of churches. And she was a go-getter, and really intense, and she gave me some grief when she was here years ago, and she was a challenge at times, and then many years passed, and she came back to the church, and she came to, she said, Pastor Doug, I need to talk to you, and she came to me, and she sat down with me, and she said, will you please forgive me? And this is like 20 years later, will you please forgive me? When I was here, I gave you so much grief. I know I was a thorn in your side. Jesus has really dealt with me. I am stubborn. I am self-willed. I'm so strong in my beliefs. I think I know what's going on. But God has shown me I didn't know anything and that I really gave you a lot of pain. And I remember at that moment, all I could do was go, wow, that's beautiful. That's, that's completely the opposite of what I see so often. And I've watched that woman, she's still alive. And I've watched that woman and she is now so tender and sweet. And her view of life is keep Jesus in my eyes. Jesus is her all in all. Jesus has completely filled her life. And now I know she just can't wait to see him face to face. You see, throughout life, if, if, you know, and I, this does, listen, this doesn't mean we aren't gonna go through pain difficulty and loss and seasons where we feel disillusioned and knocked off and sometimes where we do experience some anger and we, we, we don't treat people as we ought to. I know we're all, we're human. But the reality is, is by the end of our life, we should be more like Jesus than when we first came to know him. Right. Amen. Good. He's changing us. Yeah. Amen. Good. And this takes me to my last point. People are born again by the work, power, and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You know, there's this great story in the book of John. A lot of you will remember it. This, uh, 
this priest that's a part of the ruling council of the religious leaders of Jerusalem at the time, a group called the Sanhedrin. His name is Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was being drawn toward Jesus. In fact, he wasn't part of the group that crucified Jesus. He was being drawn toward Jesus. But he didn't want to be rejected and put out of the priesthood, so he came to visit Jesus at nighttime. He snuck to Jesus so nobody would know. And he sat down with him and he said, you know, teacher, we all know that you come from God and because nobody could do the works that you do and not be from God. And Jesus gave him the strangest response. Like out of the blue, Jesus says in John 3, 3, look at, look at here on the screen, Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. It is not even possible to see God's kingdom unless someone experiences a new birth. There's no vision of the kingdom of heaven without a new birth because you have to be born into heaven to see heaven. Right? It'd, be like, it'd be like a baby can't see earth and mom and dad until the baby's been born. It has to come out of the womb and then it can see. In the same way with you and I, we cannot see God's kingdom until we've been born into it. Amen? Verse 4, how can anyone, and, and Nicodemus is like, just like you and I would be. Look, we look back on him and we see his response and we think it's kind of funny, but I just want you to realize that if Jesus was talking to us and we didn't have the story and we couldn't look back, all of us would be like, wait, what? Born again? That's weird. I mean, isn't that weird? And Nicodemus goes right where all of us would go. He says, uh, how can anyone be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked him. Uh, can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? How many of you know? He's like, that's weird. And Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we have seeing and we have entering. Just real quick here, I believe born of water is natural birth and born of Spirit is the new birth. And what Jesus is saying is you have to be born twice. Obviously, you have to be born into the world and be a human being. And secondly, you have to be born from above by the Spirit. Titus confirms this in, in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. He says, but when our Savior revealed His kindness and love, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. I read this really cool story, and I'm going to share it with you. It's uh, from a publication called The Christian Reader. And um, when translator Des Oatridge, a Bible translator, was working in Papua New Guinea, Papua New Guinea, he came to the words, he was translating for the people that he was working with, the tribe that he was working with. He was translating the Bible into their language. And he came to the words in John 3 about being born again. He asked his native co-translator to think of a good way to express it. How do, we, how do we express born again in this culture? The man explained this custom. Sometimes a person goes wrong in our village and will not listen to anybody. 
We all get together in the village and we place that person in the midst of us. The elders talk to him for a long time, saying things like, you've gone wrong, they say. All your thoughts, intentions, and values are wrong. Now you have to become a baby again and start to relearn everything right. It was the answer Des was looking for. Today, the words of John 3.3 in Binumerian, that's the name of the tribe, read like this. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he becomes like a baby again and relearns everything from God's word. That's why Jesus said you can't even enter into the kingdom or see it unless you become as a child. A new life has to be born in you and birthed in you. You have to see things differently. That's why it's hard for proud people often to come to Jesus, for people who think they have their act together and they're pretty good, for people who are self-righteous. It's almost impossible. If you already feel like you're pretty good and you don't need any help from God, you got life figured out, it can be really, really difficult to come to faith because you have to humble yourself. You have to become like a child. You have to be stripped from all of your adult propriety and recognize your utter dependence upon God. Amen? See, Jesus came to rescue and restore us by giving us a new birth. Every new life begins with birth. Each of us who become Christians are the people of second birth, of new birth, and a birth from heaven above. The Holy Spirit of God regenerates our inward person, and we are born a second time to spiritual life. The spiritual birth begins a new life that must grow and mature to become a fully grown man or woman in Christ. See, Jesus came to rescue and restore us by filling us with his spirit. The Holy Spirit now regenerates us, fills us, and indwells us with God's life within. We experience two kinds of life, and this is really important for us to understand. If you're a true follower of Jesus, if you're a true Christian, you have two kinds of life within you. You have there's two Greek words for life in the New Testament. You have bios life. That's the bio, where we get the word bio, biology. That's the biological life flowing through your blood veins, right? That's just the life that makes you human. But then there is a second kind of life, a word that's used in the New Testament that shows us God's kind of life, and it's the word zoe. And so when a person is born of God, God's life, God's spirit is birthed inside of them. And now they become a person with two lives. Did you understand? You have two lives in you. You have the life that's bios life and you have Zoe life. God's spirit has come to indwell you and empower you from within and to help you live the life within that is the life of Christ. And so when we really begin to see that and believe that and embrace that, we understand that we're not trying. See, the Christian life isn't, I'm trying really hard to follow the Bible and be good. If we believe that, we're doomed. We're doomed because I I don't know about you. I've tried it and it don't work because I'm not good enough. All I do is fail and fall continually. But if I begin to understand that there's another kind of life in me and that life is joined with the nature of God and the character of God and that life is within me to win, that life is a victor, that life is one who overcomes sin, that life is the same life that died on the cross for me, that life is the same life that created the universe, that life is the same life that now causes me to be able to change and I learn to yield to the life of that spirit within me throughout the course of my life, more and more I will be shaped and formed to be like Jesus. Jesus Christ himself. And that's God's intention for us, that we embrace the Zoe life 
of the Holy Spirit within us and let God change us. Amen? Isn't that good news? Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go with God. He goes with you. Amen.